Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Let's do some Bible teaching. If you need a copy of God's Word, please put a hand up, and we've got awesome volunteers handing out Bibles right now. And did anybody not get the sermon notes who want them? Put a hand up, and we're going to bring sermon notes to you also. We're going to the book of Nehemiah today at the start of the book. If, we're, if we just handed you a hardback, that's page 403, page 403 for the book of Nehemiah, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. I started looking for page 403 in my Bible. That's not going to work. Uh, okay, Nehemiah. By the way, I've not embarrassed the, the um, audiovisual team in a long time, if ever. The most thankless job just about in our church is quote-unquote missing church. I know what it's like. I've been back there. You don't get to focus on the songs the way you'd like to. You don't even get to listen to the sermon the way you'd like to. The un- we have a lot of unsung heroes in our church, but if you ever look up into that booth, thank the Lord for them and let them know that you love them, okay, because they're awesome. Um. Yeah, you can do that. See, good, good leadership principles tell you to draw attention to the unsung heroes and everybody claps, but I'm more passive-aggressive. I'd rather give them all the week off and not tell you. <laughs> what, what happened to this? What happened to that? Well, maybe you should be more grateful. <laughs> How come the whole children's wing is locked and the lights are out? We said we needed more teachers. Pastor passive-aggressive strikes again. Okay. If you've not been with us, let me catch you up to speed. We are now in week six of six. We're finishing a series. Yay! We have to celebrate these things because the Gospel of John has been going on for more than three years. We haven't gotten to celebrate the end of the series yet. Uh, Six weeks together uh, talking about big problems and a bigger God. And as I said last week, Nobody enjoys it when you are sharing your heart, sharing the drama of your work day, whatever just happened. You share it with a loved one, you share it with a friend, and they minimize what just happened. They minimize your experience. Oh, that's not that bad. Let me tell you what happened to me. Christianity, I want to put forward to you if you're exploring faith. There is nothing about this book that says, oh, your problems aren't that bad. There's nothing about the Bible that says, oh, the world's not grimy. I mean, I'm sure somebody has done a count, but the number of people raped and murdered just in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, yikes, let alone add in Exodus. There's so much destruction happening, but the Bible offers a different narrative than what we get from the world. The world is, uh, if you're a conservative, it was the individual's fault. And if you're liberal, you go, it was society's fault. And there's no possible way for both of the groups to both be at least a little bit right because we're not allowed to tell the other side that they got anything right. So we're either blaming the individual only, we're blaming society only, and we've got a book that says the individual and the society were both perverted when we rebelled against God. That was for free. Okay. So we're not going to teach the Bible as if your problems that you're experiencing at work, in marriage, parenting, grandparenting, your best friend, 
betrayed you. Financial problems, health problems. The church cannot be a place where we just say, put on our smiley Jesus face and say, everything's gonna be okay. Because you know what the book says? Everything will be okay after you die. Right? That's heaven. What's gonna happen though between now and going to heaven? If I, if I love Jesus Christ, what's gonna happen? Well, unfortunately, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, it tells us. Some of them shut the mouths of lions and some of them conquered and then we stop reading because we don't like the back half of the text. Some people got sawed in half. Christianity does not make promises to you about this life being comfortable. Amen. Actually, it kind of does make promises. Even if you're in a wealthy country that has freedom of religion, your faith will still make you weird. It will not be socially comfortable. If you want to be socially comfortable, you're going to have to just abandon the gospel for all practical purposes, right? Christianity says these problems are big, these problems are real, the pain is real, and your Savior experienced all of them. That's the message of the cross. You have an empathetic high priest. He knows what abandonment is like because we ran away from him, one of us naked, at the moment when Peter at least had the common sense to fight. I like Peter. He was wrong, but I like him. <laughs> That's where we get that scripture. Peter, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Oh, but I just... Are you allowed to go into heaven and shake a guy's hand for doing the wrong thing? Because I just like Peter. There's just some, some guys in the Bible just have an attitude and uh, take things into their own hands. You're like, yes, the Lord rebuked you, but that was awesome. We do not follow a nice, pithy, religious teacher who said some nice things and got killed, and that was over. We follow the God-man who felt every dark thing and conquered every dark thing. That is the story of the scriptures. That is the testimony of Christians for 2,000 years. The dark things are real. Our Savior's just a little bit bigger. Just a little bit. So as I promised, I was gonna use this series, I ended up using this series as an excuse to stay entirely in the Old Testament because by the time you get to the cross, it's really obvious. Victory over everything that will manifest itself fully one day. So I just wanted an excuse to stay in the Old Testament for a few weeks, prove to you guys that the first two-thirds of the Bible matters. It matters big time. So God and Nehemiah is our sixth and final installment. Read with me, if you would. Give historical context, because we never preach Nehemiah. And it's going to have to be brief, because the last few weeks have been going long. God calls out an Iraqi moon-worshipping pagan and says, go to a land that I will show you. And the pagan believes the God that spoke to him and obeys. If you love Jesus, that's your spiritual father, Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. Anyway, his descendants inherited the same promise that he did. I will make you many nations, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Many descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. 
which looking back, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a promise that the Messiah is gonna be in your lineage. That's pretty awesome. And the people of God, shocker, did not do a great job of following God's laws. Even though God took us out of Egypt, miraculously, before we obeyed, he delivered us, gave his law, and we did what? Let's see, are all the kids in children's ministry? How honest can I be? There was basically a rave orgy going on in the camp of Israel when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. It was bad. And that was us. It wasn't the pagans doing it. It was the people of God. We had taken all of our gold, melted it down, and created a God that looked just like the image of Baal, a bull. That is really important that we get that timeline right. God saved us out of Egypt before we had ever done anything right. Before he, right? We didn't have God's law, so we couldn't obey it yet. He delivered us first, and just in case we ever get tempted to pull a muscle, patting ourselves on the back for being good, we have our own history where we had rebelled and rebelled hardcore before Moses could even make it down the mountain. This is who humanity is. It's going to require a bigger God because God's people are not big enough on their own. This is why if you know an arrogant Christian, that person I don't think knows the same Jesus who's in this book. It's not about us. We are not strong enough. We are rebellious. We are perverted. It is our Savior who saves. Christians do not save themselves. We do not earn our way into heaven. We worship a bull before God can even get 10 rules to us. That's what we do. So he must be good. He must be merciful. He must be patient. He must be kind. He must have a really long wick. Because if you or I were God, we would have zapped us with a lightning bolt a long time ago. We rebelled and God was merciful. We rebelled and God was merciful. We rebelled and God was merciful. But all the way back at Moses, God had said, I will remove you from this promised land I gave you. I'll send you off into exile if I have to. We rebelled so much that God did it. And so we were living in Babylon. And then later Persia takes over Babylon and we're in Persia. And even there, God heard our prayers like he promised he would. He said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name, what is that in the 21st century? Christians, literally, little Christ. If my people who are called by name, by name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. He said that about a group of people who would be exiled, not the good church kids who never rebelled. I will treat the rebels with this kind of mercy. And so Nehemiah is one of the people of God living in a faraway land, no religious liberty, no temple, no functioning Levitical priests. We see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do these foreign nations give a rat's rear end about you eating kosher? God's law is nothing to them. They could not care less. They don't even know it, and if they knew it, they wouldn't care. 
but you're 21st century American, so you, that doesn't resonate with you at all. The culture doesn't care. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of, I don't know how you say it. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. This is in Iraq. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. That's the territory where, is, where uh, Jerusalem is. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. So God had moved in the heart of a king to be kind to the Jews and allow a bunch of them to move back to their homeland. That's what's being discussed. They're saying, how did it go? Excuse me. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. Now, this is, this is odd already. This destruction happened a long time before. This is not recent news. So what that means is they've been in exile long enough and communication is broken enough over a 1,000 miles away. They don't even necessarily know the physical state of their homeland. So there's, a, there's a, a, quite a divorce there of information. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, we don't have time today, but if you do not have a Bible reading plan this week, you've committed yourself to, study this prayer this week, because oh my goodness. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Did he just confess for a people? That's not very rugged individualist. Is that allowed? It just happened. Huh. Tuck that one away for later. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses, quote, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. Hmm. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Man, that was an important phrase. If you've read the Psalms, you know, it's not that you honor God, it's that you enjoy honoring him. If you wanna know if you're a Christian, don't rattle your way down the 10 commandments and do a checklist. Because if you interpret the Bible correctly, you've broken all 10 of them. That's not how you find out if you're a Christian. When you get a chance to honor God, do you do it out of begrudging submission? That's called a Pharisee. Do you do it out of delight? That's called a Christian. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, um, if you're not familiar with Hebrew, Nisan is the month in the Hebrew calendar right before Toyota, but after Hyundai. 
During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Also, cultural thing, we don't have cupbearers anymore. This is a highly trusted official because he'll take a sip of the wine before handing it to the king in his presence. So there's no possible way to poison the king. Does that make sense? If you're going to take a sip of the wine before, right before it's handed to me and I wait a second to see if you die, how do you sign up for this job? Um, but the point is, everybody knows there's a cupbearer, so actually the cupbearer is quite safe. You're not going to bother poisoning the wine because that trick is going to get found out. It's just a safeguard. But it's a, high, it's a highly, you'd think that this was, would be like a slave, but it's actually a highly respected position. I served the king uh, his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, there's an important note there. There are quotation marks to let us know when Nehemiah opened his mouth, but he said he did it with a prayer to heaven. So what does that mean? He talked to God, maybe in an instant, without using his mouth. Anybody ever done that one? He's terrified. He already told us. He's standing in, in front of the most powerful human being, easily for 2,000 miles, at least till Egypt. He's afraid that his emotions showed. He has no idea what the response of the king is going to be. Anybody ever not have the time to pray but desperately need to pray? Nehemiah feels you. He, he couldn't dismiss himself from the king. Excuse me, king, before I answer that question and go away and find a quiet spot and bow down, ten Hail Marys, like whatever, whatever his rhythm is, there's no time for it. It's a good thing we have a big God who hears. Big God. I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? Is that a good, is that a good response or what? Yeah. He's getting into detail. When, when someone starts talking, I learned this in real estate. They tell you in real estate that if you're showing them the house and instead of talking about big things like, I don't know if we should buy a house, should we rent? They're not talking about big things anymore. They're going, well, honey, I think the couch would go here. <laughs> yes, you're 90% done because they're mentally and emotionally making the purchase. They're getting down into details. This king is getting into the details of what Nehemiah is going to do on his trip. What can I do for you? We're gonna write letters of permission to get you cedar in Lebanon. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. What can I do to make your trip successful? Da, 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 da. How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors on the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams and the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Isn't that cool? He says, why? 
Isn't it nice when the Bible tells you exactly why? Makes it easier, puts it on the bottom shelf. (laughs) When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. How cool is that? Here's this marine battalion. You wanted to ride in a real Hummer, didn't you? Yeah. Hop in that one. It's yours. Serious? Yeah. And here's some emails directly from the president, you know. Wow. Wow. Holy Spirit, would you please teach today men and women who want to hear your voice and joyfully obey. God, if we're exploring faith, would you please show us the face of Jesus Christ in the text? Show us a good God that we could respond with praise and adoration and worship. We ask this in the great name of Jesus Christ, God's people said. Note takers, God is bigger than the broken promises of his people. And that's good news. This is taken right out of Nehemiah's prayer. We have sinned in all these ways, and yet you always promised that you would restore us. You'd hear us if we turned, if we repented. You would still hear us. You would not, this is a God of not just second chances, but a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. If you ever feel like God has given up on you, that's one good reason right there to study the Old Testament. If God did not give up on Israel before the cross, he's not given up on Israel after the cross, the people of God. So, yeah. He confesses the sins of his people and my own family and my own self. God's bigger than that. Hey, I gave you a covenant. We wrote down 10 rules on some tablets. We gave... We, we taught Ebal, the, the mountains. Those of you who uh, love loitering in Deuteronomy. So <laughs> the people of God were to pronounce the curses and blessings of God related to the covenant standing on these two mountains and have this big old ceremony and fireworks and it was awesome. Anyway, that was a joke, people. There are no fireworks. Back. Anyway, so they, they said to each other out loud repeatedly, these are all the blessings of following God. Here are all the curses of not following God. And knowing all God's rules just wasn't enough. We broke the promises of God. We broke the covenant over and over and over and over again. And he was still faithful to hear when we cried out. That's still true in 2022, by the way. Some of you believe right now, sitting in the room, you believe there is no possible way that God could love you because you're a thinker, you have a brain, you like using it, and you go, this whole snowflake thing isn't gonna work, like, everybody's great, what's right for you is right for you, what's right for me is right for me, none of that makes sense, none of that has a foundation beneath it. You can feel guilt, you can feel that you've done wrong things, you can, you can just intuitively sense, of course I'm not perfect, I don't believe in a perfect human being. And maybe you've grown a little bit cynical and maybe you've grown a little hopeless. And the church telling you about Jesus just feels too good to be true. He would love me 
No, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You don't know the stuff that I, don't, I won't even tell my spouse about it. It's so shameful. I won't tell my best friend. But what we see through Scripture is that God will take a prostitute and make the Messiah her direct descendant because she operates out of faith and hides two spies. What we've seen is God will take a religious terrorist who's hunting down Christians and say, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And turn him into the greatest missionary the church has ever known. You cannot out-sin the cross of Christ. You think you're having a big and honest view of your sins, but you're not. You have a small view of the cross. The cross is bigger. You have not hunted down and murdered dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of Christians the way Saul did. And Saul knew that his grace, God's grace was sufficient for him. You have not outsinned the unbelievable, powerful mercy of God. That's not possible. Hallelujah. It's just not possible. You would need a very small or vindictive God for that to be true. Romans 8 reminds us, um, and if he gave you his son, won't he give you everything else? God can give you rules, and he has. And then you and I break those rules. We have. And his agenda is not thrown off. The trading of the kingdom of God is not derailed. Father, Son, and Spirit did not get together in an emergency committee meeting saying, oh no, they broke the rules. What are we gonna do now? And then came up with a cross as a plan B. Didn't happen. There is no plan B if you're sovereign. There is no plan B if you know the future. We must have a loving and merciful God on our hands. That's what we must have. Amen. Powerful and merciful. Because if he's powerful and he's a jerk, all we get is Zeus. If he's loving and merciful but has no power, all we have is Gandhi. I don't need Zeus and I don't need Gandhi. I need Jesus. Amen. Your rebellion against him is not stronger than his mercy toward you. It's just not. The only way, let me, let me extrapolate this in plain English, the unpopular way. Everybody's going to love this one. You are, can get you into hell. You can absolutely do it. And it's not by racking up your sins. It's simply by not receiving grace that's given freely to anybody who wants it. If you're still breathing, you have been offered mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ. Your broken promises don't send you to hell. Your sins don't by themselves send you to hell. Because there are a lot of Christians who've sinned a lot of times that are going to heaven. So it can't be sin by itself. It is sin that condemns me, and it is refusing the mercy of Jesus Christ that seals the deal. I have to literally give up on life abundant. I have to not want it and reject it to get into hell. That's how hard God is trying to make it to get into hell. He is stronger than your broken promises, and he is stronger than mine. How tiny would God be if the rebellion of a mere mortal could throw off his plan? That's ludicrous. 
It's 10.08, so you're going to get the lightning quick version of the story Hosea. God told a prophet, go marry a woman who is going to cheat on you. If you do not know this story, oh my goodness. If you've ever read the story without crying, there's something broken inside you. You must be a Raiders fan. Heart of darkness. This is like weeping upon weeping because you don't get halfway through chapter one and you go, this is God and his people. Ah, this is me. I am Gomer. Jesus died for me knowing all the ways I was going to still rebel against him. And this was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the cross on purpose to show us, I am bigger than your rebellion. I'm bigger than your broken promises. My love is greater than anything you can throw at me. And by the way, I know the future, so I'm telling you 600 years in advance. That's Hosea in a nutshell. Note takers, some next steps. One, thank God every day for a better covenant that Jesus brought through the cross. Thank him for it every day. How brutal if we were still trying to sacrifice sheep every day. Do it the right way. Sacrifice a turtle dove. Sacrifice some flour and some oil according to these very specific rules. Very clearly tied to your behavior. So you're having to think constantly about all the specific laws that I have broken, all the specific ways I've offended God. And oh, by the way, we live in North America, so good luck getting to the temple quickly. How much is Delta going to charge you to bring that sheep with you? For the family of God to spread all over the earth, the temple had to cease to become a location. It had to become a people. The Holy Spirit is in us. We are now the temple, the dwelling place of the Most High God. So you can live on any continent and you can know and love your creator. Thank God for a better covenant. Keeping all the rules just wasn't working. Another next step. If you love Jesus, share the good news of who Jesus is with anyone who will listen, no matter their behavior. You guys are probably fine, but I grew up in a very conservative Christian home, and I'm telling you, it wasn't the home. I just think it was the ethos. We talked sometimes, I heard grown-ups talk, as if morally nice people, rule keepers, maybe they would come to Jesus. We should, we should tell them about Jesus for sure. I mean, they're already so nice. They Clearly, he loves his wife. He loves his kids. He's raising them with morals. We talked as if that guy was only two steps from the kingdom. I'm serious. And he has tattoos, and he sleeps with anyone who will, you know, just like gross immorality and does drugs and votes Democrat, anything but that. That's how we talked. I'm just being honest about the late 80s in the Kaiser household, okay? It doesn't have to be you. We talked about certain people with certain behavior as if they were farther from God when in this book, it's the Pharisees who are in big trouble. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the rule keepers are the one who are in trouble because you see, it's the rule breakers that can smell grace when it comes. I know I'm guilty. So someone wants to be merciful on me? That makes sense. That makes my heart come awake. Forgiveness? Yes, please. Jesus said it this way about a woman who was uh, pouring out an alabaster box of expensive perfume on his feet and washing his feet, drying her feet with her hair. He said to the Pharisees, one who 
loves much is clearly one who is forgiven much. And there are these religious jerks sitting around the table who don't think they have a lot of sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you love Jesus, don't you ever for one second write somebody off in your brain like God's not gonna go after them and save them. Do not do that. Not with the story of Saul of Tarsus in this book. Not with Nebuchadnezzar being made a worshiper. Are you kidding? That's poor discipleship on our part. We think that becoming a Christian is lots of steps of moral behavior. Oh, this person's only two steps away. No, it's a miracle away. Heart of darkness turned into a heart of flesh, Ezekiel. It is a miracle to get a church kid saved because church kids think they're good enough on their own. I am a miracle, ARCF. I was not two steps from my king. I was thousands of steps, and I was faced in the wrong direction. God is bigger than the desires of human leaders. Can I get an amen? I told you guys a week or two ago, if you were a Democrat who was upset while Trump was president, chill out. If you're a Republican who's upset now that Biden is president, chill out. I'm gonna teach you about Nebuchadnezzar this summer and you will learn to count your blessings. (laughs) He's gonna throw us into a furnace? Which House committee approved that? We're gonna learn to see the bigness of God this summer. It's gonna be really good. You know he's bigger than what your senator wants? Do you know God is bigger than what your governor wants? Do you know he's bigger than what the house wants? Do you know he's bigger than what the judiciary wants? Do you know he's bigger than what the president wants? Do you know that? Because we lose our minds as if we don't know that. God, I was on AM radio and they just said that this powerful person wants to do that. Ah! I'm pretty sure that man makes their plans and God laughs. I think that's actually how it goes down. Here's Ramses II. Most historians believe this was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Did Ramses want to lose all his slaves? Yeah, none of us would want to. Why would you want to lose your workforce? Did what Ramses wanted matter? It did matter until Yahweh showed up. You're the king of the mountain. Great, but there's always a bigger fish. Or... Saul, first king of Israel, he wanted some things. Did what he wanted matter? He wanted God to bless his war, and so he goes ahead and holds a sacrifice without the prophet the way God said to do the sacrifice. And the kingdom is ripped from him. Or Ahab, who we talked about recently, he wanted everybody to worship Baal in his country. Did what Ahab wanted matter? It mattered till Yahweh showed up. What about Sennacherib? 
I know you guys study Sennacherib and you named your child Sennacherib. He, he, was, the, he was the one who surrounded, uh, he took 41, 42 cities of Judah. He's an Assyrian king and Jerusalem is surrounded. And the angel of the Lord says, oh, look at that, Sennacherib. I just killed a couple hundred thousand of your dudes. You should probably run. I'm not saying the angel of the Lord talks smack, but if he does, that's how I think he would sound. The people of God prayed, there was no military solution, and God killed, I think it was 175,000 soldiers in their sleep. Did Sennacherib's desires matter? It mattered for a little while, until Yahweh showed up. Darius, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, I could go on. This is what the scriptures say. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. If you have a stream and you own some farmland and so you dig a trench and redirect it, you you move the water where you want it, hey king, you think your desires are ultimate? Ha! I created you and I can change you. For my glory and for the blessing of the world, I can change you, God says. Next step, note takers, choose calm confidence in God. Guys, no one ever has calm confidence in God being on his throne without choosing it. Choose it before the crisis. Choose it before things go dark. Another next step, pray for God's will despite human plans. When you hear on the radio or in your Twitter feed, here's what some human leader plans to do, that is not the time to freak out. You pray the way Jesus said. Father, what? Hallowed be thy name. Holy, sacred, set apart. May your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come on earth and your will be done on earth as those things are already happening in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Putin wants some stuff. Please do what you want to do. Our Father who art in heaven, President Biden wants some stuff. Would you please do what you want to do? Our Father who art in heaven, NATO has some opinions. Would you please do what you want to do? Our Father who art in heaven, the Fed says they can do this to keep us away from more inflation. Would you please do what you want to do? Our Father who art in heaven, do your will. That is our prayer. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, I could preach this sermon all day, so I just need to press the button and be done. (laughs) I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share a couple announcements real quick. Holy Spirit, I personally, I kind of believe that you put this topic on the heart of the elders because we need it as a family. I ask you to please create worshipers. God, some of us have loved you for decades. Some of us have loved you maybe for a few years. Some of us are exploring what we think about you, what we believe about you. But only you can create worshipers. We saw this with Elijah and the Baal prophets. God, ARCF can prepare stones and a sacrifice and pour water on it, but only your Holy Spirit sends fire. Only you can show yourself to be God. And I ask you to do that in the heart 
of every person here in the room, listening online. God, some of us are cynics and we've got questions and doubts and we ask you to be gracious in meeting us where our doubts are. Meet us, meet us where our questions are. You're so patient. You're so kind. Thank you for being so good. Oh God, I've sinned a thousand times since yesterday and you're so merciful. Make worshipers out of us, God, that this church would look exactly as you would have us to look. That we would love the least of these. We would serve the least of these. God, make servants out of these consumers. Help us to let go, God, of our death grip on every earthly kingdom and hold tightly to a greater eternal kingdom. And give us studious hearts next week as we dive back into the Gospel of John. Help us to hunger and thirst for this God who came to save us. Help us to glorify you with everything we say and do and feel. With every action, God, make the name of Jesus famous in Citrus Heights and wherever we live and work. Do this for your glory. Do it for our joy. In your precious, strong, and saving name we pray. Amen.